The following podcast contains spoilers and words such as done and bother. Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, everybody, and welcome to We Watched a Thing. It's Billy and Topher here with you again, watching another thing. And how are you this week? Oh, no complaints from me, sir. Yeah, none at all. You don't want to don't want to complain about your your wife or anything. <laughs> no, I'm good. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> she she's she's not going to gone girl you. <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so, but I have a fun story about that for at one point of this episode. Do you, do you know someone who got gone girled? <laughs> Well, no. I've I've actually been genuinely afraid about this because not that I think she would, but I feel like my wife could gone girl me if she wanted to. Feel like she's she's I mean she's certainly she can hold a grudge and she could she definitely has the planning and organizational skills to do this to me should she want to. Hmm. So, it's a little bit scary to be honest. When the police ask me about you, I'll just say something along the lines of he was always really quiet. <laughs> Apart from that, I'm good, though. Just trying to get the kids to sleep. Um, I just went in there and told my two-year-old to lay down and go to sleep, and she went, okay, and started fake snoring at me, which not <laughs> not what you want. <laughs> oh, it's funny. <laughs> All right. But this week, yes, as uh, kind of alluded to, we are watching Gone Girl at the request of a patron. First, am I right in saying first David Fincher film we've ever done? My man, David. Well- Technically, yes, we have recorded Alien 3. Ah, so I, very craftily done, sir. Yes, so this will be the first time the listeners hear us do a Fincher film. And then- That's actually crazy to you think won't, about. You won't have to wait very long for it to happen again. Well, the, well, I guess we'll see when Mank comes out as well. Indeed. With oh, the back half of 2020. 2020's awesome. Fincher everywhere. Does Mank happen while you're on your little break, or does it happen after Alien Predator? I think it's October. Okay, cool. So hopefully we'll get to Mank then. Mank could be one of our first episodes back from September. Well, well, that'd, that'd be fun. It's actually conceivable that we could go out on Fincher and come back on Fincher, just to be real film bros about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Gone Girl is a 2014 American psychological thriller film directed by David Fincher with a screenplay by Gillian Flynn based on her 2012 novel of the same name. Uh, it stars Ben Affleck, Rosamund Pike, Neil Patrick Harris and Tyler Perry. And what is it about, Toph? It's a mystery come thriller come satire about a woman framing her husband for murder. Is Oh, that's, that's not spoilery, is it? Well, the start of every podcast says <laughs> spoilers ahead. I think I think we're covered. I guess. Yeah, I guess. Also, it's a six-year-old film. Yeah, I guess. And an eight-year-old book. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, if I just spo- spoiled something for you, quite frankly, you only have yourself to blame. <laughs> so, you mentioned a few members of the cast there. And starting at the top, a couple, couple of notable ones here. Yeah. This is- It's not necessarily- Affleck's greatest performance, but it is for me, hands down, the greatest ever use of Affleck in a film, as far as I'm concerned. You know that I am a gigantic Affleck head. I I do. I love Affleck. I agree with you. I actually think that he is so perfect in this film that people underrate how good he is. Because he is, like you say, it's it's not just Affleck, it is the use of Affleck. He is so perfectly cast in this film because he's charming and yet 
he he can come across as an everyman. He's not this Brad Pitt type insane hunk. Like he he comes across as this, you know, fairly junky husband who's not a terrible person, but not a great person. And I think it's a great use of Affleck in this film, and he's fantastic. So if you if you like you and find Affleck or Affleck's like screen presence to be just generally likable, then I can definitely see how that would work in what's happening to Nick. Yes. If you're like me and think that Affleck's screen presence is well summed up by his shit-eating grin, (laughs) then that just feeds into the character of Nick so well, like to the point that that there's a point in the film where I swear to God, David Fincher was like, okay, roll the camera and- Affleck, could you just do that shit-eating grin? Yeah, yeah great. Yeah, Thanks. Got yeah. it. Moving on. No, I, I agree with you. I definitely think that comes- I happen to like his shit-eating grin, but I definitely think that comes into it because the whole point of this film, like jumping right to the end, this isn't just about her charades. Uh, Nick is also masquerading. He is also pretending to be someone he's not. And that's why I think the shit-eating grin works so much because when Affleck does that- you know that he's not happy. <laughs> like Affleck has transcended acting to the point where Affleck himself is a character. And so I think it really, really works in this film. It's just next level. It's just next level great casting. It's brilliant. Can we talk of Rosamund Pike as well, who was nominated for an Oscar? I, I, I've, I've on, on the podium for screen villains of so far this century. I might cop some flack for this. I love Rosamund Pike, but I don't think that this is her- Like, I don't think this is her peak, for example, mainly because I don't know how much she really has to work with in terms of subtlety here. Like, okay, if you're talking screen villains, yes, she's terrifying, but I don't get a lot of layers in this performance. And look, I know I'm going to cop flack for that because this is a performance people love and she was nominated for an Oscar and that's great. I think it's a fantastic movie and she is very good in it. I just don't think she, I I just don't think this is the best that we've ever seen Rosamund Pike. I think she's deserved Oscar noms for other films and, and will again in the future. I think Pike is utterly sensational in this film. Um, She's like just so, she's on screen like that Amy is on screen a lot and yet there's just she gives you nothing like just what's going on behind those eyes I have no idea and that's part of what's terrifying about her it it reaches a point where she is such a villain that I guess for me there's certainly no empathy there like and I feel like you're supposed to empathize with her particularly in the first half I think you are supposed to because here's the thing I never thought Nick did it, and I don't think you're supposed to because the movie sets up. He's he's not home at the time, and we see that. We see him come home and, and find the scene. So, we as the audience know that he didn't do it. And I think it's pretty clear from the start that she did this herself, but I suspect that what you're supposed to feel as an audience member is a little bit of empathy. When you see her fake journal entries, which you later find out are fake, I think you're supposed to feel like, okay, well, she had she had reason to do this. Like, we feel bad for her. I didn't necessarily get that. And that's why I think that for me, it just comes across so villainous that while she's great, it's a little bit flat and one dimensional to me. I think you gain empathy for her in the last kind of quarter of the film, not to the point where like you're not cheering for Amy, 
but I think the movie begins by just giving you nothing and Pike gives you nothing and then unpacks her a bit and makes her a human for me. Interesting. I, lo- I mean, I love that we're reading it differently. And like I said, I'm, I'm not- This isn't a slide on the film. I, I just feel like we're reading different things from it. Um, elsewhere- I mean, Tyler Perry is an absolute revelation in this film for me. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I actually don't- He's one of those names that you hear a lot, usually in a bad way. But I thought he was great in this film. He's incredible in this film, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I've read some, I've read some interesting articles about how his character is almost like the Fincher surrogate. You know, like he's sitting there kind of watching this, this- play fold out between these two completely crazy people and just- And like everyone else finds it horrifying and he thinks it's hilarious. He's fantastic in that role. I think he's played really well. The the supporting cast is, I think, just note perfect. Like a- Amy's parents, sensational. Yeah, fantastic. Amy's friend, the, the one with the three kids, just sensational. The woman at the volunteer centre that takes the photo with him is just- He's like, yep, I know that person. Yeah. Nick Sistamago, I think, is really fantastic in this film. Feature debut of Carrie Coon, I'm pretty sure. Like, I, we didn't know who Carrie Coon was. Missy Pyle is the TV presenter that's, you know, really oh, riffing on. Yes. I'm just <laughs> knocks it out of the park. And we've all seen that person like a million times. <laughs> She's incredible. Um, Kim, Kim Dickens as the detective. Yeah. Oh, just, she's sensational. She's fantastic. And that's the one, like, okay, this film is a little long. I, you don't feel the runtime. And I could have more of this film just to have more of her in it. Dickens can do so much with with lines like, you know, when she's, she's talking to her, her partner and he says something about the fact that his wife, you know, reckons that Nick did it. Yeah. And and Dickens says, well, if Tiffany says. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's it. It's like four words. And it's like, okay, great. Now I know from four words, I know exactly what she thinks about a character who we have never met and will never meet. Yep. Dickens, I, oh, Dickens is incredible in this film. Agree. I, I love her. She's so fantastic. And it's great to have, apart from Tyler Perry, she really is your, your in to this story, I guess. Because as much as, I mean, let's face it, Nick is the main character. The film follows him. But like you say, you're not supposed to necessarily- empathize with him and even if you know from the start that he didn't do it you know that he's not good you know he's not a great guy yeah so dickens really is your human element into this story where you're like okay this is my angle in this is how i'm seeing this i'm an investigator and that really does suck you in because there's so much to investigate in this movie (laughs) yeah i i completely agree with your yeah with that take on the detective for a lot of the time when she's on screen she's us there is one piece of casting that I don't love in this film that I feel lets the film down slightly. And you may disagree. You may feel the same. Do you want to take a guess? Um, I'm saying it's NPH. It is NPH. I don't like NPH in this film. For, uh, there are a lot of reasons. Firstly, I feel like the character itself is so Barney Stinson-ish. <laughs> you know, he's this well-to-do, always wearing a suit guy. He's He's a little bit funny and- to me, it becomes slightly cartoonish purely through that piece of casting. And and it's not even the way that Neil Patrick Harris plays it. I think he plays it fine. I don't think he's fantastic, but I think he plays it fine. But just through that one piece of casting, it actually lets the film down for me and starts to feel less grounded and gritty than what the rest of the film is. Do you Do you agree with that take? My recollection is that when I first saw this film, I really liked him in it. 
And with every subsequent viewing, my thoughts on that bit of casting has gone the other way. Um, And like you, by no means do I think that Neil Patrick Harris is bad in the film. I just don't think it quite works because I think Desi is a great character. Yes. The way that he, for me, the character of Desi is the way that you gain a level of empathy for Amy because just like through the way that he exerts control over Amy once he has her kind of in his clutches and, you know, buys her the clothes that he wants to see in and- you know, tells her where the gym is. Yeah. It's like, oh, dude, you're a dick. And then it's like, oh, okay, so Amy's escaped this one life that she hated in, you know, absolutely horrendous. Her way of going about that is absolutely horrendous, obviously. Yeah. But then she lands in this new scenario and it's like, oh, great, my life is still shit. Yeah. And I think I think there are things that work about that, like the things you brought up, but I also think there are things that don't work about it. I think the way that it's played- and I, and I guess it goes to show that, you, you know, especially in our society, there is a problem and women can be and feel controlled. And I think that part of it actually works quite nicely because Neil Patrick Harris has a very meek presence. So I think that, you know, for what it's doing thematically there, it works. But at the same time, she has been shown already to be so strong that it kind of kills it for me there and I, I i don't know i just i just don't like the casting i honestly find it a struggle to imagine why he was cast in this role other than as a wink to the audience because there's just not enough there for me to understand why he was cast really so that's my one gripe with the film that that i don't love and i think that perhaps that's why Amy doesn't work for me as well as she should is is just because of that one piece of casting because for me that kind of busts it a little, but yeah. Apart from that, I think the cast is top notch. Uh, fun watching this film after the first time since Invisible Man came out, and and it was like I was thinking of this film a bunch in the first kind of forty five minutes to an hour of Invisible Man, which would you know the part of Invisible Man that I liked, um, <laughs> and um, and with the. Because I think like Invisible Man certainly borrows from product, like production-wise, camera-wise. There's there's clearly I think a bunch of Fincher going on there. This film highlights a couple of very Fincher things, like his usual avoidance of the color red because it draws attention to itself, which we see in this film in in the crime scene. We get that kind of explicitly done to us, where if there's something red. Of course you go for it, in this case, because it's blood. Yeah. And the way the, the way that the camera goes through the house with the detectives that first time and things start to unfold, but not in a way that makes any sense to you. It, I think it's great the way that for, for that chunk of the film, we just live in the same state as Nick and we don't know anything that Nick doesn't know and we're just fucking confused if you haven't read the book. Yeah, and particularly, I must say, one of my favourite parts of the production of this film is the editing. Given that it does jump around so much between multiple stories, between stories that are entirely fictional when you cut through the the journal, there is never any question about where you are and, and, and what's happening. It is edited so tightly that it makes it work really, really well. Yeah, I think that's a great point because it's easy to imagine a version of this film where you're just lost and not not in a good way. Like, sometimes you can be lost in a good way. Yeah. But you can imagine being lost in a bad way with this story if it's not handled as well as it is. 
it's it's a really clever piece of writing by Gillian Flynn when she explains those journal entries that, you know, you start out true because that's how you gain credibility that you've been keeping this journal your whole life. So it is interesting when you look back and and you can kind of see the shift happen from when the stories went from being true to being false and, and it kind of blurs together in this history and you are getting an unreliable narration from those journal entries that give you this other impression. So it's a really interesting piece of filmmaking, I think. So it's it's funny some of the things that are supposed to lead us to believe that that Nick is is a bad husband. I've been with my wife for 15 years this year. I don't know her blood type. Is that something we're supposed to know? (laughs) God, I love that moment in this film. Like, I I felt really bad for Affleck in that scene. and I Yeah, this moment of panic. You're like, oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that. And then just the little moment between Kim Dickens and Almost Famous is so good. Yeah. Yeah. When he said, am I meant to know my wife's blood type? No. Yeah. Because, yeah, I turned to my wife and I said- I feel like we're supposed to think that he's a really terrible husband at this point, but I I feel really, really terribly for him. Like, I feel a lot of empathy for Affleck in particularly the- And obviously, as the film goes, you feel less, and that's obviously intentional. But straight up, I was like, wow, I I feel bad for this dude. Because as an audience member, we know he didn't do this, and of course he's going to be accused. But, like, I wouldn't know the answer to that. The only thing that makes me feel bad is that I know full well that my other half, I'd like, I'm sure she knows mine. <laughs> I, I love the fact, though, with the, with the journal that, like you said, it, she has to start out true before she then starts concocting the story in there, that it's never, ex- it's left up to our imagination, really, just where that happens and how much blending there is in the crossover between true and not, because ultimately it doesn't matter if we're not bang on with our assessment of how much of this is true and how much isn't. Yeah, and we get a little bit of that later on, you know, when they when they show the journal to Nick and they're like, okay, is this true? Is this false? And you get some of those answers, but, yeah, some of them are still unclear by the end, which I think is is nice. And, yeah, I like that it doesn't get bogged down in, in exploring how much is true or not. And even, you know, there comes a point in the film where, I think it's a small section, but there is a little section where you actually don't know who's telling the truth or not. When when her journal entry, when you flash back and you see about them having the big fight about him not wanting a kid and he pushes her, it feels entirely believable. And even when he's trying to justify himself to Margot and he was like, no, I, I wanted kids. There is, It's really playing with some tropes there because there is that old fashioned thing of, you know, the stay-at-home wife wanting a kid, the the drunken no-good dad doesn't want to, that, you know, that plays in your mind and, and you actually kind of question him a little bit there in that moment, which is a really nice way to play with those tropes without being overt. One thing that one thing that this film just kind of really rings- with, with a lot of Fincher films, I find a lot of them really funny. Uh, and this, this is one as well, just because- just the way that things come through about, like, his- some of his opinions, which I think can't help coming through in his filmmaking, I just find very funny. One of them in this one is the opinion that this film has of the media. Like, it's just hilarious stuff. I, and, like, going going back, obviously it's helped by that really quite sensational performance by Missy Pyle. But I really love the point in this film because it's, like, almost exactly halfway through this film- it stops being a mystery and becomes a thriller. Yes. Yep. And then 
then when it shifts again later on into satire, it's surprising and I think quite delightful how a film, like when you're told, okay, what's this film about? And then if you were also then told, but also like you won't laugh, but it's really funny. Yeah. You'd be like, what? Uh, Yeah. But it is. I agree. There is particularly, there is something very funny about those last 20 minutes when she rocks back up at the house and and he hugs her. And oh, says, and it does the full crane shot, yeah. like the whole bazaar. And he hugs her and says, you fucking bitch. And in your head, you're going, what, what, what? <laughs> like, what happens now? There is no good way for this to end. <laughs> like, how does this work? And you're kind of, at the end, you are flabbergasted and at the same time wanting to laugh about the turn this has taken. Yeah, I think at that point, yeah, we just we just become Tyler Perry. Absolutely. And you just like throw your hands up and laugh at it. Absolutely. And you're like, wow, these so so that's it. That's all that and now this is this is how it ends. They're just they're together. That like that's the end of this movie that I just watched. Whoever saw that coming. Um shout out to frequent Fincher collaborator Jeff Cronenworth um shot this film. And it contains I've been trying to figure this out and I actually I haven't quite I haven't got to the bottom of it, but I can say that this film contains possibly my favourite single shot of the century. That is, after she has killed Desi in a, I, I, you know, we're two weeks off doing Basic Instinct. There's a very Basic Instinct nod in the way that that happens. Yeah. The frame of Rosamund Pike covered neck down in blood where she then just does the hair flick. Yeah. is just I think it's just genius level stuff and and I think it's such a great character moment for Amy just the thing she chooses to care about in that moment yeah I just love it agreed and then there are some entirely unbelievable uh things that like when when uh she's talking to him in the shower and washing all that blood off that is so far later. Like, that's after the questioning scene with the police and somehow they just let her still go home with all that blood all over her. <laughs> yeah. But but it but it's like, who cares? It, because it just, it just works for the scene and the shot. Like, it's just such a beautiful shot. <laughs> you know, there she is completely covered in blood. They haven't seen each other in uh, however long it's been. I, I forget. It's over a month by that point, certainly. Our little titles yep. tell us. Yeah, I think it's day 38. Is Something 30, like 38 ringing a that bell, sounds but I, right. I wouldn't swear to it. He's been through complete hell, and there she is washing someone's blood off her entire body and just very flatly explaining to him, you're going to stay with me. <laughs> he knows she killed him. She knows he knows that she killed him. You don't care that realistically there's no way she would still have all that blood on her because it just works so well for that scene. So let, let me tell you the truly terrifying thing about, about Amy and, and the murder of Desi Collins. When this movie came out, I saw it opening night yep. with my other half. And on the way home, prom- not, not prompted at all, just out of nowhere, out of nowhere, she says, I've got a box cutter in my bedside table. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like gripping the steering wheel going, what's happening? And the most terrifying thing about that is that I mean, bedside table is weird enough. I can't think of a single reason why your partner should have a box cutter at all. <laughs> like, I don't think we have a box cutter. <laughs> what do you need it for? I've got one. You got you gotta mate, you gotta have a box cutter. What for? Cutting boxes. You got scissors, mate. 
Nah, mate, there are things that scissors are just not cutting the mustard for. Oh, that's bull. That's bull. I don't know how you've made it this far into your life without a box cutter. Mate, you don't- uh, I'm going to buy one for your wife. (laughs) She'll keep it under her pillow. (laughs) (laughs) And then just mention it while staring off into the middle distance (laughs) at night. (laughs) Fucking hell. Does she still have the box cutter on her bedside table? I'm 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 terrified to look. (laughs) (laughs) Don't buy her any new clothes. (laughs) Yeah, I actually, I really love the way that Amy's arc unfolds because it's funny for how meticulous and well-crafted this entire thing is, the way that it all unravels and falls apart is crazy to me because it actually makes you wonder what was her plan then? So her plan was obviously to kill herself. Right. Yep. That didn't happen. And just die happy in the knowledge that Nick would die too. See, and you, I, I must say, you reach a point where you're like, well, okay, her money just got stolen. Um, I know that she's just- Oh, that's another two great performances yeah, as well. Yeah, they're fantastic. Boyd but- Holbrook. Yes. Yeah. We didn't know who Boyd Holbrook was. Yeah. He's amazing. But, but, you know, it was only the night before this that she decided she wasn't going to kill herself. Then the money gets stolen. It's like, well- I mean, now you may as well, right? I'm not condoning suicide. But in in the mind of Amy Dunn, I'm a bit like, I'm a little confused at this point. And then she calls on Desi and I'm like, okay, but what is her plan? Because I don't believe that she went to Desi with the intention to kill him. Do you? No, I don't think. No, I don't think the intention was always to kill Desi. Um, But then once she got there and, you know, realizes that she's effectively, because at that point she's in a prison. Yes, but I guess I just, I guess I just, for, for how meticulously crafted this whole thing is supposed to have been, by that point, I'm a little bit like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, y- you are the person with a plan. Like, you've, you literally planned the day you were going to kill yourself. And now because your money got stolen, you're c- kind of freeballing it. I just, I just found myself a little bit confused. See, that I actually totally buy because I, I think that Amy would be, Instead of dying happy knowing that Nick was going to die, it would just irk her too much to do it when things had not gone as she intended. Yeah, okay. And she's like, she and Amy's like, fuck that. I am not going out like this. I just would love to know what would have happened had she not seen Affleck give that interview where he's giving that performance, putting on that face, being that perfect man that she wants. What would have happened? Would she still have killed Desi? Do you think that- uh, I'm not sure that it really was about the whole prison thing. I I feel like it was just a way to get out and go back to Nick. I mean, one thing, like, you're trying to logically unpack the actions of someone who's clearly fucking insane. Well, that's true. Do you find yourself at the end feeling empathetic for Nick, or are you a bit like, well, this is is what you got? Yeah, actually, I I think by the end, I'm the the thing I'm closest to is- yeah, your lot in life now, Nick, is about where it should be. Really? Because you're a knob. <laughs> He's not, but this is my thing. You with don't Nick. deserve to be, like, you don't deserve to be killed by the state, <laughs> but you are a knob. I don't know, but this is my thing with Nick, is that I think for the most part, I think he's not a great person, but I don't think no. he's a terrible person. You know, was was banging a student? Well, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, um, not, not to you, defend him. I think that- I choose to believe enough of the journal, like I trust the journal far enough to think that he did become a very complacent husband. 
Yes, but he was also, I mean, he was going to just ask for a divorce and I think she knew that. I'm not condoning his actions, but I think in some ways that step of asking for a divorce is actually in some ways a very brave thing to do for either party to actually say, I'm unhappy, I know you're unhappy and ending this is better for both of us, in many cases is well and truly the best thing. And I think- that he was actually going to be quite brave, I guess, in doing that. And I I don't know. I, I don't feel like he's the terrible person that deserves this fate by the end. I think ultimately it, it just feeds into how funny I find the end of the film. Like Nick Nick winding up with Amy. I just most my, my biggest thing about it is that it's funny. Yeah. But it's a, there's also a little bit kind of bittersweet there as in like, are these two a perfect match? Like when he's talking to Margot and she's like you want to stay with her, don't you? I think there's a little bit of ambiguity there as in like, I don't know, d- Does he? is this actually what he wants now? Like, is it is it more than just I have to for the kid or I have to for this? Like, are they actually in some ways the perfect couple by being so dysfunctional? Great follow-up collaboration with Fincher and, and Reznor on this. The, Isn't it the, just? The score in this- Works so well. One of those things that as soon as it had happened once, you were just like, of course. It's like you pe- you people were put on earth for each other. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, you, if at the end of this film you're like, yeah, you know what, Nick and Amy, you do deserve each other. <laughs> Fincher and, <laughs> and this musical pairing yeah. just made for each other. Because they're both so moody. Like, Fincher is a really moody filmmaker- like that's so much of what he does is is evoke a feeling and a mood. And Reznor is is the same. Like not just with the Nine Inch Nails, but his his film score at the same. It, there's it's not it's not what you'd call melodic scoring. Like there's nothing here that you could hum afterwards. But it is so moody and fitting. And in this film, it's like mysterious and gripping, but not over the top. It's very subdued. It's really really great stuff. And they do something in this film, which it's probably what they've always done. It's certainly um, apparent in this film where they take a, like you said, you wouldn't hum along to it. You almost could. Like if it wasn't a twisted version of what it is, it would be something you can hum along to just like this film. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I think it's pretty clear we both very, very much enjoy this film. How are you scoring it? Yeah. So this is- um this is an interesting one for me. I like I from the first time I saw it, I, I really liked this film, but I might have even been as low. Like if we if if this show had existed when this film came out, it's possible I might have given it like a really strong seven. Right. But like I and I'm curious to see if over the next five to ten years this film has the kind of relationship with audiences that Zodiac had, which didn't have that much of an audience when it came out. But then like ten years later, people were like. Hey, has anyone else realised that Zodiac's a fucking masterpiece? <laughs> um, which, and, and I mean, Gone Girl is Fincher's highest grossing film at the box office, so it's not like it was an unseen film. But I do wonder if if even 10 years from now, people might look back and be like, actually, yeah, that's pretty fucking sensational. It, it was liked, but I never got the impression it was particularly loved. So I've actually, I've kind of watched it twice in the last couple of months because just before we got the request from- um, our patron Andrew, I'd watched the director's commentary on it, which I'd absolutely recommend to fans <laughs> of the film. It's 
it's just sensational stuff. Just Fincher talking for two two odd hours. It's just sensational stuff. He spends like there's even points where he's just abusing the audience. It's fucking great stuff. <laughs> Does he in that commentary tell the story about Affleck and the hat? Have you heard yes. this story? That story is directly from the commentary. They had to shut down production for four days because Affleck refused to wear a Yankees hat. <laughs> Wouldn't do it. That is fucking stellar. <laughs> <laughs> The way Fincher does it, or it's just like he is he is joking, but it's so dry <laughs> yeah. that it doesn't sound like it. When yes, he describes him as he describes his actions as just deeply unprofessional. Fincher is clearly not a sports fan, though, because I'm sure that if if you were an actor and someone asked you to wear a, a Manchester United hat, you'd tell them to bog off. I'd walk off set exactly, <laughs> and he did. He did exactly this in the Curious Case of Benjamin Button with the character played by Jared Harris who is in real life a Manchester United fan, knowing this, he made him the captain of a ship called the Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> just, just being a dick to his actors. And I just rate it. Oh, I love it. That's funny. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing funny about putting Chelsea on things, but but there is something funny about being a dick to Manchester United fans. <laughs> um, going back to what you were saying about whether or not this will gain a little bit in the next 10 years and how the audience score and stuff wasn't huge- I think that's inherently part of the problem with doing adaptations because I don't know if you remember that, but this was the book. 2012, when this came out, this was the book that was read by everybody. Like, this is a million times bestseller. Like, this is insane. It was the same with Girl on the Train, which even even I read, and I hated the adaptation of that because it was garbage compared to the book. And I feel like, especially with a story this rich, I can understand how I haven't read the book. But, you know, if you were a huge fan of this book, maybe there would be things not to love about this movie. So, yeah, I'm not sure if that contributes much to its score, but I'm sure it contributes a little because there are plenty of adaptations that I didn't like, even though others love them, just because I loved the book. Scott Pilgrim vs. The World is a, is a prime example. I waited in line opening night to see that movie with my wife and we both hated it because it was trash compared to the books. And I know that I'm alone here because so many people love that movie. I just don't get it. Well, in answer to your question of five minutes ago, um, I'm a nine out of ten. I think this film is fucking great. Yeah, yep, yep. I'm an, I'm a very strong eight. There are just a few little things that bring me down. Neil Patrick Harris being the main one. Uh, but there are so many things to love about this movie. And this is only the second time I've seen it. So maybe I'll be the same as you. Maybe on future watches that score will creep up. I might be up to a dozen. I've watched the shit out of this film at this point. Just going back very briefly to the director's commentary, the best part of it is when Finch is talking about his reputation for how many takes he does. Yeah. And he's like, this shot here that we're watching, this this was take two. We did it twice. It was good. And we moved on. So go fuck yourself. <laughs> 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 was that the shot of um, Ben Affleck's shit-eating grin? Because I bet that he could do that in one take. <laughs> that was definitely take one. Yeah. Affleck didn't even know they were even, recording. He didn't even know they were filming. He's just standing there, just, just fucking a little shit-eating grin. I, I heard the story. I can't even remember where I heard it. But recently I heard someone explain the origins of, of shit-eating grin. It's, uh, it's, it's to do with animals. The original saying was, you know, a, a raccoon. You know, who would like just found like a puddle of shit. <laughs> Is that right? 
So that's what shit-eating grin refers Because, you know, I, you think about it. Why would you smile if you're eating shit? But, it you doesn't know, make a lot of sense. It's, it's like, you know, happy as a pig in shit. Like, that's the origins of the saying. Right. I'm glad we cleared that up. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the content people come to us for. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. What are we getting to next week, buddy? Next week will be the start of... A six-week run. Is that right? Six weeks? Six weeks, yeah. We're taking Twelve leave, filled buddy. six weeks. <laughs> yep. We're going on holidays, but your ear holes aren't. We have recorded yet another marathon covering every film in the Alien and Predator franchises. So that's going to be a blast. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to September 1st. <laughs> In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchthething.com or wewatchthething at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchthething. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchthething, and we will catch you next week. We'll see you on the other side. Where the fuck was I going with that? Um, I don't know. Anyway, let's just, I'll just pick it up. Um, 